Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's going on, automotive world? Welcome to another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. My name is Sean Tipping, and I'm going to be your host for today's episode. Today on the show, uh, I'm going to be talking with Ben Varnado and Noah Kite. Uh, they've both been on the show before, but I was lucky enough to attend ASTE this weekend in North Carolina, and I'm sure a lot of you listening were there as well. Um, it was awesome to get to talk and meet uh, so many different people in the automotive industry, some that I knew, uh, at least through Facebook, some that I've never met before. Um, Everybody was awesome. The networking was awesome. And I got to record my podcast at the event. And this is one of those conversations. Uh, We just sat down and kind of just shot the breeze. Um, and you're going to hear more of these conversations as well. Um, I've got quite a few from the weekend. I'm going to be editing this one on the plane ride home. And so it'll be out on Monday morning. But anyways, we've got Ben and Noah here uh, for a nice conversation at ASTE. Let's jump right in. Hey, a first timer. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome, man. I've I uh, little almost unexpected. Like I expected the the knowledge to be good, but I was like just I was blown away. <laughs> I'm still I'm still like kind of just processing some of the, the classes so far. What'd you take today? Um, I took. I need to look these up to, to be exact. Um, I took. Let's see, pull up my email real quick. Um, I just had Scott. You were in Scott's? Yeah. Okay, uh, I was in Scott's too. Electrical uh, testing techniques with uh, Pete Meyer. Dang, we've had the same class. Yeah, both both of the same classes. And uh, Scott's class, uh, Pete's class was good. Scott's class was like, I I expected there to be very specific knowledge. I'm not going to lie. Most of that stuff was above what where where I'm at. (laughs) He said the exact same thing like 10 minutes ago. It was, was... I was, you know, cause I was expecting like, yeah, we have, you know, fuel trims, uh, we have, you know, uh, ignition tables and, and things of that nature. But he just went like straight into the, the like exact details. Like this is how this car is working and huh. this is how things are, are testing while you're driving. And I was just, I was like, Whoa, <laughs> uh, have you, uh, have you looked on YouTube? Uh, Bernie Thompson did a free class over fuel trim. And it got so just deep. I mean, first five minutes, it went off the high dive. I was Shady. watching. I watched. I watched Scanner Danner stuff um, on it on just like the basics of it. Um, That's but, how I felt in Scott's class, right? Yeah, now. it just yeah. went right off the high dive in the first five minutes, and you're just like, "Well, if what? for the right person, that that is really good, and that's what they're mm-hmm. after." And then there are other people where. You're, you're not you're not ready for that or that's not for you so it, something i was talking about with somebody else earlier is like you also really have to do your research for a class before you take it to know what you're going to get but sometimes that's not possible right i was like yeah yeah there's like <laughs> a paragraph and 
you don't know exactly what you're going to get, or maybe the title of the class can be deceiving at times. And this isn't anything to knock on instructors, no. right? They're trying to get as many people to take their class as possible. And I get that. But like, if it says advanced in the title, and then maybe it's not so advanced, but it was just there because everybody wants to take the advanced class, right? They'll sign up for it because they see advanced, but then they cover more basics or the other way around, right? Mm-hmm. You're just like, you're, you're blown away and you can't keep up with what's going on, which it's cool. That's impressive. But how much are you actually taking away from that class? Um, it, it It's interesting, but you want to get your most, the, the most bang for your buck, right? Yeah. And then probably, like one of the guys sitting in front of me, he does tuning work. Yeah. Okay. So that class was like the guy he told don't answer any more yeah, questions. Yeah. He yeah. knew his stuff. He, <laughs> that, that class was like perfect for him. Okay. Um, for me, it was great to get into the engineering side of it, but it was also like, just so far in depth and I'm still like the whole time I'm learning this, I'm thinking, okay, how is this going to help me daily? How is this going to help me? How daily? can I apply it? And then actually the few things I did learn are great pieces of information to have uh-huh. almost like bar trivia. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if it would help me, but that, it, it's an amazing class. I am uh-huh. not going to knock that class. That right. class was, that class was great. Yeah. Um, did it fit me? Maybe not so much, but like I said, any class you go to, if you learn one thing, it was worth your time. Exactly. I wa- I'd always been taught um, 14.7 to 1. I learned in that class, 14.7 to 1 is not the rule. It's actually 14.13 to yeah. 1. Okay. The the reasoning and the reasoning behind it, I was glad he went into the reasoning of it. It has to do with the ethanol contents of fuel. Yeah, I remember from my earliest days, it was always 14.7 to 1, 14.7 to 1. That's for pure gasoline, right? Correct. Okay. When actually it's 14.13 to 1. Okay. That's actually what it's supposed to be. Or 14. Yeah, 14.13. Okay. That was kind of cool. I was like. Yeah. So some of that stuff comes across in like a scan tool, right? Then you see the, okay, here's the equivalency ratio or whatever. And then you got that number that says 14.1, whatever. Like, oh, okay. That makes sense now. Mm -hmm. I get it. That's what he was talking about. So yeah, getting deep into stuff, you can go down rabbit holes, right? And you can get too far into the weeds on things. And I've definitely done that with a lot of stuff, but sometimes it really does help you to have like that intricate knowledge of how everything works there there is some application at some point but like you say getting one thing out of a class totally worth it right Mm -hmm. it it ends up being worth it at the end of the day so as as long as you're here and absorbing what you can and then the networking too that's the other thing that's pretty awesome about this i've been having so much fun just talking all day i remember super saturday they had the parking lot party Mm -hmm. afterward yeah where this they actually had a venue where we all went yeah, so it was neat getting to run into like Keith Perkins. I've been a member of his website for probably a year at least. Uh-huh. Never met the guy in person. Oh, there's a ton of people I've never met yeah. in person that I've talked to for years on yeah. Facebook or whatever. And then it's all face to face. And some people are taller than you think they're going to be. And some, <laughs> people, some people are shorter than you think they're going to be. <laughs> right? Like you just have an image of this person in your mind. And you meet and you're like, oh, okay. It's a lot different than I thought. <laughs> it's weird to see everybody here because uh, especially in North Carolina, like uh, there are there are definitely some people that uh, – like I know Jarhead Diagnostics is here. Uh, he's 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 a local. Like it's just weird to see everybody here. Like, uh-huh. as, and like just the like the names because I mean uh, we haven't had the uh, the 
what is it, the convention for like Saturday? Oh, the Super Saturday. Yeah, and just seeing like all like the like the uh, the sponsors and everything up there, and like I was just kind of yeah, a little bit blown away. For sure. Are either of you going to the dinner tonight? I am. Yeah. Okay. I'm not. Okay. I don't, I don't have a hotel room. So. Oh. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll be there. So I found out before we came, I just happened to see Brandon Dill's post that he was bringing a, like a, a jacket. And I was like, oh, crap, I should probably bring some nice clothes because otherwise I was going to have my PicoScope shirt. Oh, and that was it. So. <laughs> I think I, I, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that the ones dr- getting dressed up are getting something because this is dressed up. <laughs> I, I think a button up will do, but that was yeah. what was requested was a nice shirt. And uh, so I, uh, I guess I'll tuck my shirt in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that should be fun. Um, but yeah, it's good to see both of you guys in person. This is cool. Yeah. Um, I want to hear your brake fluid story now. I stopped okay. you and hit, I want to hit record. So. Um, so I learned, and you can take this and use this too. Um, <laughs> I learned a long time ago, I never, ever have a cup in a shop without a lid on it. Um, hot summer day in South Georgia, set my cup on the workbench, working on a car, came back 10 minutes later, take a big sip of my Coca-Cola, and it was not Coca-Cola. Um, and then I look and... At the vice, there's brake fluid shooting across the workbench. A nice bare spot where my cup was. <laughs> the brake fluid kept going. Um, so I knew right then I'd probably swallow brake fluid. Um, gut started to churn. Um, boss didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. We called poison control. And they said, you know, just monitoring for a little while. Make sure he's okay. Don't induce vomiting, things like that. Um, after about an hour, I was like, dude, my gut's hurting. Mm-hmm. And he goes, all right, well, let's take you to the emergency room. And, of course, you get to the emergency room, and the lady checking you in, she's happy to be there, <laughs> sarcastically. Um, she's like, so, sir, what's your problem? And I said, uh, I ingested brake fluid. And she's like, did y'all call poison control? And we were like, yeah. Immediately, her mood changed. I didn't even sit down. It was straight to the back. Okay. Um, and she she had told us, she said, poison control, when you call them, they put every hospital in the area on notice that you might be coming in. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was painful. Um, they basically stick a needle into your artery and draw blood out and send it off to the lab, and they wait an hour or two. Put it on one of those s- brake test strips yeah. or something. <laughs> and then they, uh, like an hour or two later, they stick you in the artery again and make another <laughs> blood draw and send that off to the lab. And basically what they're doing is they're looking for your... They're looking for certain enzymes and chemicals to see how okay. much they're depreciating to see how your body's actually processing. So they didn't pump your stomach or anything? I didn't have to get okay. my stomach pumped, but I learned after that, no more cups without lids <laughs> on. <laughs> well, it's a big OSHA thing. Um, they come to the school and they make sure like you can't have an open container um, of anything in the shop. Um, it has to be labeled, right? If, unless it's being used and then we're not supposed to have drinks um, in the shop at all, technically, according to OSHA. I mean, everybody does, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, get something with like a, a screw top or something yeah. like that. Cause yeah, I mean like coolant, I mean, it could, mm-hmm. it could, maybe it's Mountain Dew, who knows? Yeah. Right. You know, um, that's funny. Uh, Mine so, was like the big, large, uh, Hardy's restaurant cup with the <laughs> mouth like this big on it. So it got plenty of brake fluid. To oh go. man. That had to just taste it awful. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's got a weird pine tarish gin almost taste, but oh, you 
You feel it right <laughs> afterwards. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay a dad joke on you here. It, it reminded me of this when you're talking about this, and I, I I didn't come up with this. I saw it on Facebook years ago, but um, it was some people tell me that I have a problem drinking brake fluid. I tell them I can stop whenever I want. So, <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, that's awesome. Uh, Noah, have you ingested any automotive fluids? Uh, God no. <laughs> no, I have. I don't. I don't have any uh, crazy stories like that. the The only thing that I learned was uh, if the containers labeled something. This is pretty obvious, but if the, can- the containers labeled something, then it needs to stay that item. <laughs> uh, uh, coolant jug G thirteen coolant. It's typically all white. You do have that little see through side, but you know guys are running in. And out, and some guy put poor or put a straight um, uh, brake clean in his. Oh yeah. Uh, you know he left for the day, and somebody had to top off some coolant. Oh, cool, he's got some top <laughs> dumped right in there. And, oh uh, man. Yeah, that was. Uh, I, I just kind of witnessed uh, the the aftermath of that. But yeah, after that it was like a big. Uh, by the way, if you do this, you will be <laughs> fully responsible. So. Have, have you seen what happens when guys accidentally put? Um, coolant in a washer fluid bottle no i I have seen that done um the the worst though is when a customer will add a power steering fluid to their brake reservoir that it's all over at that point everything's getting replaced Um, fluid in the coolant oh i have not seen that i have seen that jeez I what's, s- the, what's the results of that? Straight cook crystallization of everything. Same thing, same thing <laughs> like when it goes in the fuel tank. Yeah. You oh, know, man. the Ford six sevens, I learned this in a, another class years ago. Um, if you have a six seven and you call Ford and say, Hey, I got a customer, they put death in it, they go, Oh, no problem. Here's the contamination kit. They actually sell a kit prepared for this scenario. So it's gotta happen all the time. Yeah. Uh from what the instructor in the class said, he goes, insurance will pay for it the first time. Okay. They won't pay for it. But he <laughs> said it's like an eight to $10,000 parts kit. If I remember correctly, yeah, I want to say he was saying it was like eight to 10. Because you're talking basically everything from the tank forwards. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he said, actually, the easiest way to tell is on the fuel filter that's on top. There's a return hose. And he said, what will happen is it'll, if you're unsure, he goes, nine out of 10 times, you'll find the return fuel hose will be blown off. Okay. He said, that's your first clue right there that the deaf made it through. Gotcha. Um, I, one of the first shops that I worked at was, it was a full service gas station and it was a shop, right? And so we'd have an attendant that would go out and pump gas for people. And we had both, um, we had diesel and we had gas at the pumps, right? And so, I mean, you, you should be able to figure it out, you know, what, <laughs> what you're pumping gas into. But we seem to have it pretty frequently where they'd pump uh, gas into a diesel, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then this big Ford excursion is going to pull away and it's <laughs> not running <laughs> at all. And then then all of a sudden it's our job as technicians. Like you got to drain everything, get all the gas, you know, the 24 gallons of gas that just <laughs> went into this thing is now junk. Um, it was it was a mess. So uh, we had to do some... Uh, some training for the gas station attendants. <laughs> the one co- I worked for a company about the labels. You're talking about, hey, if it's a coolant jug, it has coolant in it. If it's a washer fluid jug, yeah. it has washer They The reason the policy came out and we all had to sign off on it was because the guy had put, in wa- he had put coolant in a washer fluid jug. 
And but the problem was he put them in multiple washer fluid jugs. So all day during those oil changes, they're just grabbing that jug and filling them, filling up washer fluids with it. And I was like, well, it's not going to tear anything up. Yeah, wait till you push the button and turn the wiper off. It just smears. <laughs> <laughs> so you oh. already had a vision problem to begin with. Yeah, it's 10 oh times God. worse. It just streaks everywhere and leaves an oily film. And if an insurance company's listening, they're like raising rates. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Sorry, shop owners. <laughs> um, I suppose you guys are both down further south you ever see the washer jugs freeze up in the winter time okay Never seen uh, i haven't seen it i can't say i've personally seen it but i have seen them leak during the winter time for some reason okay i think it's just because during the summer they're just dumping water in there yeah well even if you buy washer fluid up in minnesota yep. in the summertime they they put more water in it during the summer and then so if it sits in there and then you go drive or well, not drive it but you let it sit when it's 30 below it just becomes this big tank of ice and, and they'll go to use it and it's not working. So the solution is, you know, bring it in the shop, let it thaw out and then put the, they have like uh purple stuff. That's good though. I don't know, 60 below or something crazy oh, yeah. like that. But yeah, uh, we'd always get that. Um, this is the other thing. I remember being in Ohio, the ones we used to oh, get sure. on the first cold snap was my diesel won't start. Yeah. Okay. Got to roll it in the shop, let it get warm up and just to I don't know what it, I don't diesel burning at 90 degrees when it's outside is to me is not as bad <laughs> as diesel fumes when it's 10 degrees outside. I don't know why huh. just mentally. I think it feels heavier. What is it? But yeah, diesel exhaust 10 degrees shop heaters on it's inside. You're just like, oh, come on, hurry up. okay, it's running. Get it out. Get it out. Get it out. I always hated the smell of uh, gear oil, 80-90. It's like, <laughs> I don't know what it is about the like the smell of that. I cannot stand it. Like, if I get it on my clothes or my shop, you know, uniform or whatever, that's all I smell for the rest of the day. I'd rather smell transmission fluid, gas, paint, whatever, you know, rather than that gear oil is, for whatever reason, the worst to me. Well, when I met my, at the time, she was my girlfriend, and we moved to Colorado when she got stationed out there, and I went to work in a drivetrain shop. She had just smelled me working in a normal shop. Mm-hmm. And then I come in from a shop that does nothing but basically rebuilding drivetrains. And the first day I walked in the house, she goes, oh, my God. What is that <laughs> and I looked at her. I said, honey, that's the smell of money. <laughs> but, yeah, the burned up, tra- just smelling one or two or three burned up transmissions just back to back to back. Sure. I'll take gear oil <laughs> over burnt transmission fluid. Um, okay. Well, that that brings up a, a distinct smell. Is uh, DSG fluid smells just terrible in its own, but burnt DSG fluid is just I can't even really describe. Just the smell. <laughs> like, oh no, I haven't been driving it long with the with the clutches slipping, and you take the drain, and it's just metal and just <laughs> smoked DSG fluid is uh, not not the flavor to have. I'll tell you that. Uh, is that the Automatically shifted manual yes, transmission. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What was it? Dual. The DSG stood for. Uh, I should know dual this. servo. Uh, I should know this. Dual selection gearbox. I'm yeah, I think. Beat yeah. me up for that. I, uh-huh. I. We actually took a class on this earlier this year, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> the ZF guy is definitely going to email me after this. <laughs> 
Uh, you learned so much other stuff. Yes. Learned- <laughs> <laughs> Except for what we're working on. <laughs> Acronyms we'll, we'll hold off on. But oh, there's, there's only uh, like two or three of those in the automotive world to remember. So <laughs> yeah, That shot was the only time I've ever seen. We pulled a transmission out of a Ford Ranger that was so smoked. We left it sitting on the ground. And the next day we actually had flies. Coming to it, I was like, <laughs> I mean, dead that dead. thing rent. I mean, that thing you could smell it four bays over. It oh man, so bad. And but yeah, I still remember my wife going, "What is that smell?" And I'm like, "That's the smell of money, right there." <laughs> so now that's that's our joke in our family. If I come home and her family or somebody's there that haven't been around me, they're like, "Man, you smell so bad." Like, that's the smell of money, right there. <laughs> um. I had a Plymouth breeze one time uh, when I was working Firestone and it came in and had a schedule for ball joints. We sold ball joints on it, but they had been driving around. It's the middle of summer, 90 degrees, and they they ran over a deer that had already been hit. So it's just laying in the road and they ran this thing over. I mean, it's like, you know, the Plymouth breeze is not far up off the ground. So it's like a plow over the top of this thing. Right. And so you got deer guts and hair and blood all over the underneath of this thing on the cradle and the control arms, all this stuff. And I lift this thing up and like you say, the smell, I'm like, what in the world? And we figure out what happened once we get it up. But we're like, what is this? And of course, the boss wants me to put the ball joints in. I'm like, dude, like this thing's dr- literally dripping blood on the ground. Like, you want me to do this? He's like, oh, I just hose it down. So I'm hosing the thing down. And I, I, I had a mask on because it smelled so bad. And I'm trying to get like all the nooks and crannies of this cradle cleaned out. No, it just like keeps on dripping. You still see the red and the drips. And I'm like, come on, you really want me to do this? So uh, we eventually hosed it down and, and got it done. But man, I was like, this is the grossest thing. I mean, I should have like a biohazard suit on to do this job. Uh, but I'll never forget that one. That's for sure. Well, th- see, you were talking about a deer. And th- this one, when we first, when we moved out to Texas, you know, when you go to different states, there's different laws. Um, I had ordered a brand new 2017 Tundra TRD Pro. I waited three months for it. I got it. I had 9,000 miles on it, and I hit a bull in the middle of a road. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> At night, it was, it was dark. I was coming home, and all I remember was I'm looking ahead of me, and I'm like, my lights aren't reflecting back. And I was like, I can't see the middle line. I can't see the edge. What the heck? And by then, I nailed it. And it went sliding across the ground. Then got up and walked past me. And I was like, wow, okay, I hit a bull. And (laughs) it's Texas. What do you expect? (laughs) I learned so much from that. The cop afterwards was like, yep, you're lucky the farmer came up. I go, why why does that have to do anything? He goes, if the farmer didn't come up, that's you versus animal. That's your insurance. That's yours. That's your Uh baby. And I'm like, oh, wow. And he goes, and also be glad you didn't kill it. And I go, wait a minute, kill it. What are we talking about here? He goes, yep, if that would have been one of his stud bulls and you killed it, you would have had to pay for the cow and loss of income. He's like, so if that cow would have produced, say, 10 more calves, you would have been responsible for the value of 10 more calves. And I'm like, what's he he letting the thing What's he letting the thing wander around in the road for? <laughs> There's one guy down here that's talking with a great southern country accent. I, he would sound just like the farmer, but the farmer goes, 
he done made it with them heifers up there, and he was <laughs> headed down to that field to get with those. I, I Man, just had kinda, a strategy going. Yeah, he goes, I could have put a brick wall up, and he would have jumped over it. And I just, <laughs> I just looked at him. I was like, well, now I see what y'all mean by black as coal. And he goes. Black as coal, black as night. The only white thing on that cow is its eyes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, don't drive a small car down his road. Yeah, oh no God. kidding. Actually, when the paramedics got there, because they just immediately, when it's animal versus bo- or bovine versus vehicle, they just go ahead, cops, paramedics. The paramedics were like, whew, man, we're glad to see it's a full stress truck. We were expecting a little car or something. Yeah, oh, man. Right? Um, and on it, looping that back in the car is. I heard a rumor the other day, Volvo has produced an airbag now that you hit in the front, it pushes the hood up. Yep. Is that true? Yeah, they've had it out for a number of years now. That's the first I've heard of it. On the the Ardeon, we discovered that they had the, um, the Volkswagen Ardeon, we discovered that it had igniters on the hood hinges, on the backsides. And I, I believe the purpose for that was to actually push the hood up in an yep. exit because it has this long sloping like saloon style hood. That blew my mind because I was like, I, I mean, that's just even more stuff on this car. Right. Yeah. Well, that you have to be cautious around. No. So I teach an airbag class and I, I show that video of that Volvo mm-hmm. with a bag that it extends. Like if you imagine where the wiper cowling mm-hmm. is between the windshield and the hood, the bag comes out there when it detects that you've struck a pedestrian. It's using right. sensors in the front rubber. bumper to do that. So they do it with a mannequin, right? And so they hit this mannequin and the knees collapse and the head comes down and they show it on a normal car. Head bounces off the hood or the windshield. Yeah. And then they do it with the airbag and the airbag is supposed to catch their head. Oh, um, okay. that's, that's the goal. But yeah, now we've got, it seems like igniters and pretensioners and airbags everywhere in the vehicle. You take it for granted sometimes when you're working around stuff that there's a pyrotechnic device right next to you. Well, the, the rumor I had heard was it was, so if something went up the hood, it was designed to go over. Oh, okay. Oh, that, well, I maybe, mean, maybe what, what Noah's talking heard. about is more along now, the lines. That was, that was my theory because the, the hood was so long that I, I, I was, from what I understood that it, there's a possibility or they had been sued at some point that the hood could go inside of the car. Because you have this really long object that you're crushing and forcing. You have to force it in some sort of direction to go inside the car. So with those um, with those um, igniters right there, you could actually force it upwards in the case of an accident. Now, okay. it may be a situation where it has to be triggered by the module depending on speed and, and yeah. things of that sort. Yeah. But, when I started researching the airbag stuff to teach it and – for my classes, I, um, you know, I knew the basics, but I really wasn't that into it. I'd learned there's so many more things on a car mm-hmm. than I was aware of. I mean, I didn't realize there could be pretensioners on both sides of the buckle, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not just one. There could be two, um, the active headrests where the headrest will actually extend out to catch your head and keep whiplash. I didn't even know that was a thing until I started researching the BMW battery disconnect. Mm-hmm. I mean, these things are all, about those for all over the place. It's crazy. Um, how much how much stuff is on different vehicles that you got to be aware of the jeeps where if you take and roll the airbag computer over oh that's it sends the rods up that's more than just the jeeps yeah, yeah. I, I, avoid doing Have that to that? anything no in the uh, no. in the pillars um it's basically it ignites and sends a, yeah. a, a metal rod straight up so if it rolls 
it won't collapse down. If if you have any airbag module that is still plugged in, do not unbolt it for any reason. Uh, Paul Danner, yeah. uh, is, <laughs> uh, he, but I've had a coworker that's done that. I have talked to other people that have done that. Is they're doing something else? Oh, we got to move this module. Even if the the key is off, um, mm-hmm. if you rotate that module and it's in the center of the vehicle for a reason, that's where you find that airbag module because it needs to know. If the vehicle has has rolled over, okay, we're setting off those curtain airbags at this point. And then, yeah, then you got to replace all of that stuff. It's super expensive. It needs a module. It's a bad day. I still remember from the uh, one of the airbag classes, the question the instructor put up right at the beginning of the class. He said, one AA battery, two AA batteries, three AA batteries, four AA batteries. How many AA batteries does it take to set off an airbag? And we're all sitting there like, yeah, this is the reason we're taking your class. <laughs> and it was actually two and a half AA batteries. Interesting. All it takes to set off an airbag. Okay. Um, that's one of the reasons why, and I had to explain this to my service rider the other day, you do not take a meter and do resistance on the airbag. Yeah, no. So, okay, no. so it's funny you say that, and I agree, don't do that, and I tell my students not to do that, but we set off an airbag every year from my airbag class. That's part of it. So let's see a pretensioner go off. Let's see an airbag go off. We try that every year with the no meter. Now, it, maybe it depends on the O meter, but we have yet to actually deploy one with an O meter. I get why they say that, right? You're sending current through that circuit, but we've tried multiple times because I'm like, I want to see this happen. So we we put the O meter, we have the test leads, and maybe that plays a role. Maybe if yeah. you're right up on it, maybe it's a little different, but we use the the like 15 foot test leads and I ohm check it. And then of course it's two ohms because I tell them it's like two and a half ohms yeah. for it. And um but I have yet to set one off with that. But yeah, for anybody listening, don't try it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I still remember a case study they had in that class of a guy was doing the dumbest thing ever, but he was soldering an airbag wiring oh. and using not the wonderful butane one, but the electric soldering iron. And okay. I guess maybe there was a short or something in it. Yeah. He's yeah. in the middle of soldering it and sets it off. And I'm like, dude, that's, I mean, your first concern there is getting smacked by an airbag, but your second concern is getting smacked with a hot soldering iron by an airbag. Yeah, well, there's, there's, so, there's so much wrong with that anyways. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't do repair on airbag wires. It's replace the yeah. harness, oh, yeah. right? There's just too much liability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, I don't do used parts, none of that stuff on, on airbag stuff. I don't even want to. I mean, because that's the situation, right? Like if it's needed and doesn't work, somebody dies, right? You can make that argument for ADAS and, and anoc brake stuff and, and very possible, right? But airbag stuff, like the only reason that is there is to save somebody's life. It doesn't work. I'd like to put in the conversation too, is that I, 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 every time, you know, it's always on social media, but everybody's like, they'll see a car just, just crushed all to pieces. And they're like, oh, they don't make them like they used to. I'm like, yeah, because that person walked away, like understanding how, and, and I don't even have all the classes and everything. I mean, I'd love to take an airbag class, but understanding like just the basics of how that system works and the millisecond calculations that entire system's making. It's nuts. Oh, like, it's crazy. I'm like, this thing just activated half the car based on speed yep. and save this person's life. The crumple zones worked, et cetera. You know, all, all that stuff worked versus, you know, they used to, you, you, you watch the old crash tests and you're like, oh, yeah. oh my God. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> no. I'll give, I'll give you a quick cliff note version. First generation airbag systems came out. The design was get the bags out. So, you know, small fender bender, deploy them all, get them all out. Uh-huh. Yeah. Second generation, they started figuring out, hey, you're getting more hurt by the airbag than you would if it didn't deploy. So then they started putting double charges. 
one charge to get it out and then another charge to basically slow it down when it got to you. So you didn't, you get, weren't getting smacked in the face. Well, and, then, and like you say, it's making a decision. Do I set off both stages mm-hmm. right now or just one stage in, in a fraction of a second? Fractions. Um, um, and what did I, I think in that same class, he said six inches, six inches from an airbag was the deadly. Yep. Thing. That's a danger zone. Um, the, one of the factors is um, Delta Delta V or Delta velocity is that it's taking into account too, is what is the, um, how quickly are we decelerating, right? If you mm-hmm. hit something and that's going to play a role into how it's doing it. But yeah, the processor can make all these calculations looking at seat positions for passengers. Mm-hmm. Honda actually has sensors in, in the seat and they've had this forever mm-hmm. where if you're leaning, it can tell if you're leaning over to one side or another. Um, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that it's so like. It has that like based system that was like pods module which i was impressed because you can look in the scan the scan tool because people put like coolers and stuff in the seat sure yeah i know it isn't really uncommon but it's just amazing to see that i can actually differentiate based on weight it's not just object or no object uh-huh the, the scan tool actually says uh like small dog <laughs> it does it really yeah. does if you look at it that's um, funny um like cooler i think it has person there uh, <laughs> just to kind of because it like it you know you want to be able to tell like people do put their small dogs in the seat which obviously most people know not to do but uh-huh. they do do that sure so the system has to know but yeah that's that's uh, you know and, and on the other side of that too people are like okay well this this is a most advanced car and it hit a pole and and none of the airbags went off and i'm like it's also have has a calculation for that. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, they also figured out too from the first gens that you could quickly total a car by how many airbags you deployed. Right. So then they started calculating, going, "Okay, it's a little cheaper not to deploy all the airbags. <laughs> okay, let's just figure out certain ones." I, I don't think you'll ever have a manufacturer admit to that, though. Yeah, <laughs> Even no. if it is true, there's no way anybody's I mean, coming out with that. They keep all that stuff uh, like really uh, proprietary. Like they don't release their detailed mm-hmm. strategy for airbag deployment, and it, I mean, it's obviously for liability. Um, I think there might have been some insurance companies greasing some palms too. Yeah, that's definitely possible. But it's but it, yeah, airbag stuff is. I, to this day, I still cringe when I see that person in the passenger seat with their feet up on the dashboard. Yeah. I'm like, oh, they should just sit through one airbag class. Or have you ever seen the uh, bedazzled emblems on the steering wheel? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that so many times. I'm like, that is shrapnel. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen the, the pictures of the people? And I think they there was a recall for this that would literally get burned by the Volkswagen or Audi logo. It, because no. so they had they had the logo on the steering wheel pad and it would come out and it would you know you have your arms uh, up on the steering wheel and they'd have a VW or an Audi <laughs> logo actually like it, it's branded. like somebody branded them yeah oh, Go- Google the picture it's it's absolutely hilarious and it was a thing like cause there's multiple events of it happening so I think they've they figured it out but it was it got so hot I don't know if the the emblem is plastic or metal or whatever but oh. straight right on your arm I, lo- I love T. Because some of them that the way they're written, <laughs> they're just you're like, I had a GM one time for erroneous airbag codes on the passenger side, and it was you go read the TSB, and it was literally said because of an electronic device such as a laptop being turned on and setting on the seat would <laughs> set the airbag one. But there's a good one from back in the late '90s, early 2000s that I 
every shop I've ever went to, I always print one out and hand it to the service writers. It's from Honda. It's like four pages long of basically questions and ways to describe noises to your customers. It's like <laughs> a squeak, like a screen door opening. <laughs> it's like three, a buzzing sound. Sound of a swarm of bees. <laughs> it's like four pages of this thing written, and I'm going, man, that engineer must have known his head was on the cutting block. So I better produce something. Being being at the dealer, and because I was a dealer when we had the whole Takata airbag recall, and when it first started, they were like, oh, we're just we're going to replace all these airbags, and we're like, why? You know, because that information in the beginning didn't seem to be very clear. They were like, oh, they're just effective. Like, well, what do you mean? And then later they're like, oh, the backs of the igniters can rust and you could have a random you know, ignition event. And, of course, you couldn't get igniters quick enough because no one mm-hmm. wanted a bomb in their car. Um, and, you know, everybody was always like, well, you know, that's it's a pretty rare, you know, it would be a pretty rare circumstance. You'd have to have a car that had a water leak. It'd have to be old. Has to be in a Volkswagen. Climate. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Volkswagen. <laughs> um, 100% true, by the way. 100% true. They leak water all the time. If you're listening, don't buy one. Um, uh, so, so, yeah. So I, I just kind of told myself, like, oh, it's not really possible to have one that's a real danger to me. So I've taken, I did hundreds of them, hundreds of them. And in comes this, uh, I want to say it's like a 2006 Passat. And it's got a water leak. It's like that, I guess, that weird Mark V looking facade. And uh, the car's got Florida tags on it. <laughs> I'm like, this can't be the one. And I take I take it off. You know, I do all my precautions and everything. I take, I take the airbag out. I flip it over, and it's filled with rust. I mean, it's just oh, damn, solid bro. rust. Wow. And that, that'll scare you. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, especially, and, and I can't imagine when some of these cars get 10-plus years old. Because, I mean, I, I know, you know, like, obviously, some of the 90s cars had you know, what, one or two, three airbags. But, I mean, having full, what, eight, 10, 12 airbags in these cars and having mm. possibly rust or somebody hooking up their speaker wire to the- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, as they get more complex, you know, I mean. Right, right. Yeah, the more chance of something something going off. Um, the I don't know if you, either of you ever looked into the way that the computers actually monitor the circuits for the uh, deployment loops. It's absolutely crazy what the the monitoring process is for circuit integrity on those things, um, because you can have codes for shorter to power, shorter to ground, open, and it will differentiate between all of those without ever actually activating the airbag, right? Because you can't, like, you can't just, right. like, it's not like an EGR valve where you test it. Does it work? I don't know. Okay. There's no active test for this. Yeah. So it's doing all this with a biased voltage on the circuit to monitor for all these different things. And it'll set a code for all the different problems, high resistance, you know, whatever. And if you watch it on a scope, it's really crazy what there, it, it's like the most complex circuit monitoring in the car. I'm, I'm I'm pretty convinced and there's probably other examples, but, um, and this goes back into like the early two thousands, they were doing this too, but they have to be sure that it's going to work mm-hmm. when it's needed. And so it's got to have that light on to tell you, Hey, there's something wrong with your system. If there's any sort of problem, but if you scope one of those, uh, those lines, it's pretty interesting what's going on on those you circuits. Got me, you got me intrigued now. I might actually have to hook up one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just uh, yeah, not your own meter, I guess. But no, you <laughs> you can you can hook up a scope safely, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to one of the circuits and see what's going on, and they'll they'll alternate voltage different ways. Um, 
Yeah, it's super, super I interesting. I've never even thought about it, but yeah, they would have to because they're basically checking for resistance. Yeah, that's all it is. Like, does this two and a half ohm ex- resistor exist? But how do we test that it's there, you know, without sending 12 volts to it or something like that? Um, it's, it's a lower voltage and they'll do some pulsing. Uh, and it, but it, it varies depending on the brand, too. They'll, there's different methods depending on what vehicle you're working on. But The question I'd pose is then how do these cars, especially these more advanced cars, have random deployments? Because I have seen that. Everybody, uh, the what's the headrest uh, restra- restrainment system? Sure, one of those. I guess Mercedes is known for those. Just randomly, went, he was driving to work one day. Just randomly went off, no airbag, like nothing. Oh wow, that's uh, uh, that's a good question. I I don't know. I, I just I was you know because I mean you can I've seen these cars where they like you know they have an airbag light. They've turned on. They've turned off the igniter. You know they have, I think it's like resistance fault in most Volkswagens. I haven't seen like an open or like short to ground fault in one of them. I probably don't want to see. <laughs> but um yeah I, I i was wondering about that i had a, i had a customer with an older again talk older volkswagens and with airbags it's just terrifying to me older tt and it was it had water in it significantly <laughs> yeah so I, mean, I i guess by that you know okay water gets in the connector and you could have a random deployment but it just scares me yeah for for the aging of the car right i still remember an old Cadillac, like early 2000s Cadillac, the guy was complaining that his seatbelt, he, he just came, he's like, my seatbelt won't work, my airbag light's on. And I go in there, and sure enough, it has set the igniter off. And I'm like, so I went on YouTube to see this video of the igniter setting off, and I'm like, how did he not know this thing went off? <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, it's a charge that went off and basically locked the seatbelt. Right, and I'm yeah. like, how did he not know yeah, that thing it, went, didn't go it, off? If you watch a video of a guy, it, they'll do it in slow motion of the pre-tensioner going off. And, I mean, it cinches it across moves. your chest. You're like, when, yeah. you, when that happens. So, yeah, you got, I would imagine you got to be aware of that. It is so neat to see, like, the different car companies, like, picturing, okay, if this happens, then we should do have to do this to protect the people. Uh-huh. And I still remember that instructor saying, he goes, it starts its preliminary judgment off of what to do like nanoseconds before the impact sensor actually registers the impact. So basically it's like, it's almost like you watching a video and hitting rewind real fast and going, okay, that's what I needed to do. Yeah. Um, it, I remember him saying, he's like, it automatically starts reading the ABS system and everything Basically, when the crash sensor feels the impact, it looks back a nanosecond and starts to decide, like, okay, this is what we should do. And it's doing it all in the speed of light, basically. It's, uh, it's crazy. And it's it's like it, it's suddenly your fuel pumps cut off. Suddenly the, you know, the emergency systems are calling for help. All airbags have deployed. It's, you know, stuck. I guess it's like, you know, um, in the newer cars. It like numbs your steering wheel down, so you can't jerk it into somewhere crazy. It's uh, your you know your brake systems work. You know, obviously can bust, but it's just it's crazy that it not only made all of those calculations, but then communicated through the entire system in less than a second. Well, yeah, <laughs> I had a. It's interesting you bring that up through the can bus because I had a can bus issue the other day, and I had to do research on it, and just actually getting into the weeds of the CAN bus system and how far it's come along and trying to explain to my service riders like, yeah, when CAN bus first or yeah, when CAN bus first came out, 
It was either Canvas or the first modules. They were talking at like 126 per second. Uh-huh. And now they're like eight to 10,000. Well, what's funny is that when you really look into it, like Canvas is slow compared to like an ethernet thing. And yeah, that, really. and that's what kind of where everything's going is ethernet connection. Or if you look at the speed of uh, most systems that have the fiber optic, they're actually way faster than a, you know, a wired mm-hmm. can system. Um, but yeah, that can bus as fast as it is, if you compare it to like an ethernet, it doesn't even, it doesn't even compare, but the, the cost and reliability, I think have been part of why it hasn't been introduced into automotive, but it's coming. There's, there's newer vehicles that have ethernet setups between modules and stuff like that. It's pretty, it's pretty nuts how quickly information can be transferred by computers in a blink of an eye. I do that with my students. We scope, you know, like five seconds of a can network. Hmm. And then it's just, a, it, it, when you put like 10 seconds on the screen, it's just a borer of, yeah. of lines. And then we're zooming in and zooming in, zooming in and look at all these data packets that happened in a hundredth of a second. It just transferred and processed all that information across an entire network. It's, it's really crazy when you think about it, but that's what interests me about it. Right. That mm-hmm. I'm like looking at this stuff and we can, we can slow it down. We can actually see what's happening between modules. I, I love that stuff. It's pretty cool. And now they're starting to talk about, pro- like they talk about in Scott's class about there's now programs coming out to basically um, decipher what the can message is. Right. Off of right. the scope. I mean, it's like, wow. Okay. So we can now start to decipher the message. Yeah. That's it, interesting to me. The The challenge is like, you can get the the digits out of it, the numbers out of it, but each manufacturer has its own uh, you know, protocol, mm-hmm. e- even if you get the numbers out, you don't necessarily, unless you had information from the manufacturer, you can't necessarily tell what module or necessarily what message it is. Um, but there are like super smart people out there that are like kind of figuring out, they'll do something with the ABS module, monitor all the messages and they'll look for the one that changes when they hit the break. Right. And then, Oh, okay. This is coming from this module. And then they can reverse engineer it from there. But those are People way Scott's smarter talking, than me. Scott was talking about in his class that there's a guy on Diag.net who's going to be teaching a class. A guy named Dimitri. Oh, sure. For $10. Okay. Person. That's it. 10 bucks. Damn. But he goes into deciphering the canned messages. Check that and out. I'm like, 10 bucks? That's it? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it seems to me like that would be like a $1,500 message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I don't want to cut you short, but I have to go get ready for this dinner thing. You got to right. get out, out of my Pico Scope shirt and uh, put, <laughs> put on something a little nicer. <laughs> got to get dressed up for yeah. the event. Yeah, but uh, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate oh, it. Yeah, this, this is I, fun. I appreciate the opportunity. You guys are awesome. Yeah. I finally got to meet Noah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, I want to give Ben and Noah another thank you for hopping on the show with me. Uh, It was great to see them in person and have an in-person interview. I actually haven't done too many of those, but uh, it's a lot of fun, and hopefully I get to do more in the future. I'd also like to thank everybody for listening. And other than that, let's get out there, start fixing the world one car at a time.